Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your 14 and 40 Detroit Pistons. Ben Galker and I talk about the changes made to the starting lineup, the progression Jaden Ivey has made as a scorer and a distributor over the last couple of weeks, what we expect from the Pistons prior to Thursday's trade deadline, spoiler, not that much, and a possible reunion with a high-profile free agent-to-be. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Hey, Laz. Good to be back. A little bye week, middle of the season, pre-All-Star break rest week. I don't know. Load management, whatever you call it. (laughs) Good to be back. Good to be talking with you, man. I'm 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 doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of things happened in the in the interim between our two podcasts, which is good. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the change to the starting lineup, which I think is the big ripple effect of everything that's going on this week. So, Ben, we got Jaden Ivey uh, as the sole kind of primary ball handler in the starting lineup. Killian Hayes to the bench. Uh, Isaiah Stewart to the bench, sort of Sadiq Bay into the starting lineup. They seem to have flipped that back. We'll talk about that piece by piece. Uh, so, Ben, what what were your thoughts when you first saw the starting lineup? And I'll give you like a little hint. My first thought was, oh, they're showcasing Alec Burks prior to the trade deadline. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, like, there's a one A and one B and a two for me, right? So, like, not three. 1A, 1B, 3? Maybe. (laughs) There's three things. We can call them 1, 2, 3, 1A, 1B, 3, whatever, however they want. So, like, I agree with you. You're trying to feature Alec Burks for a trade. Um, What you're getting back for him is probably not much, as we've talked to death about, right? So, like, that's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that comes to mind is, like, okay, so Dwayne Casey kind of said publicly, and this is thanks to James Edwards III for pointing this out to me on Twitter directly, which I appreciated because I had missed this. Um, moving Killian to the bench gives the second unit a ball handler, which they had been missing. Um, but to me, this the subtext of that almost feels like you want to give Jaden Ivey more ball handling in the first unit, which I, I think has almost become the obvious benefit of, of moving Kelly into the bench, right? So that's like the 1A, 1B, right? Or, or 2A, 2B, whatever you want to call it. So those are the three things I can think of. But like my obviously reaction, like my gut reaction was, oh man, this sucks for Killian. <laughs> like that's how, that was my, that was my honest reaction. Really? That's how I felt about it. Yeah. So that's interesting to me because I thought it's like, okay, uh, Sean Corp wrote a great piece about how like that move kind of signaled the 
the thing that mattered this season was getting Ivy more ball handler reps. And the best way to do that was to split up the two ball handlers they had in the starting lineup. The other thing I thought about was Killian Hayes like real role for this team moving forward is not going to be as a starter. It's going to be off the bench. And so him getting him rehaving that role, getting more used to that role. Uh, however you want to put it being in the role he's supposed to be in. I don't think is a bad thing. It is clear to me that Killian is, uh, has not been playing well since that role change. Um, he couldn't like this week. He had a three for sixteen game against Dallas that had nothing to do with whether or not he was coming off the bench. Those shots just like weren't falling that night. And then with the last two games, he couldn't deal with uh, ball pressure in the backcourt from like Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee, which is not a good sign. Not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, not not exactly the NBA's most elite defenders. There. Two former Pistons, too, by the way, as well. Which yeah, is, which is interesting. Yeah, but it was it was just uh, not a very good week from Killian. Um, and offensively, even without the ball pressure, uh, like the way I put it in the notes is like, uh, like a quarterback who misses his tight end when it's tying get tight end gets hurt. He misses Boyan. He misses Boyan a lot as like just somebody who like keeps the ball moving, uh, knows what he's doing when he comes off these pin downs and these flares that the Pistons are running. When he, uh, when he gets the ball to Sadiq, uh, they're much more likely to get like an isolation possession. We're going to talk about Sadiq later. But yeah, this is this move has not been great for Killian, but Killian also has to do himself uh, more of a service coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, c- clearly it's impacted Killian's... Like his body language to me was just... was mm-hmm. real bad. Um, in the last two games, I think in particular, the Charlotte game, it stood out to me even in the win. Um, you know, losing the ball in the backcourt, you mentioned that. That just, oh, it was inexcusable. Him and um, him and Livers have like flubbed handoffs like two games yeah. in a row. It's been weird. It, it it almost looks to me like he's so disappointed in what's happened in his play and in his demotion that it's impacted his focus and his effort. And that, I, look, I mean, I know he's a young player, but he's got to be a professional and rise above it. Like you look at, the way Sadiq and Stu have handled it, they've handled it so well. You contrast that with the way Killian has handled it, and it's it's just night and day, right? He's he's just got to be better in terms of how he handles it. Like you missing shots, you that's going to happen. Losing the ball in the backcourt because you just flubbed the pass, like yeah, you can't do that as a point guard. Um, so you know, here's the thing: we'll talk about Jaden Ivy a little bit more. I think one of the things that's interesting. You know, Jaden has been surging of late. Killian has been slumping of late. It's interesting to me that both of those guys seem to need the basketball, right? They're both ball handlers. When Jaden has been playing well, it's because he's had the ball, making decisions. When Killian has played the best, it's because he's had the ball a lot and he's been making decisions. And look, it's not close. Jaden's ceiling is just way higher, right? So prioritizing Jaden Ivey just, just make more sense. And it's a meritocracy, and unfortunately for Killian, he's he's just not as good. So he gets demoted. You're you're exactly correct. Um, his role is on the bench because he's not as good as Jaden Ivey, and he's not as good as Cade Cunningham. And so he's he's got to he's got to embrace and accept that. And it it's not just going to be on the Pistons, right? I mean, if he's going to stick in the NBA anywhere, it, there there are very few starting guards, if any, that he would be able to outplay, right? So. Um, harsh reality sets in for Killian Hayes, I think, unfortunately. 
No, absolutely. And we're going to, we're going to do like a whole section on Jade and Ivy. We've got a whole thing on Jade and Ivy planned. I wanted to talk a lot about Jade and Ivy this week. Uh, but the, so with the second part of that starting lineup change was the flip flop between Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart. Um, we have seen the return of the dog pound in the last couple of games with the, the two big lineup. Um, but Sadiq has, for his part, has been heating up uh, month by month. Sadiq's three-point percentage in November was 23%. That's bad. <laughs> in December, it was 38%. That's good. In January, it was 39.5%. That's pretty good. And in two February games so far, he's shooting 43.8% from three. And so I think Sadiq is officially uh, heating up from downtown, which has been the main thing we've asked from him uh, as a player. And that's been, you know, regardless of role. You're starting for a little bit. He's back off the bench. His role has been going back and forth, but the consistency with the shot has been there over the course of over two months now at this point. Uh, unfortunately, that November was so bad that he's okay. almost, he's not quite yet at 35%, but he's he's going to get there um, uh, probably sometime later this week. Ben, uh, Sadiq Bey finding a shot, no matter what the role, great thing for the Pistons, probably keeps him on this team past the trade deadline. Yeah, what a bizarre season for Sadiq. What a roller coaster. Well, it's like the roller coaster on the ascend the whole season, I guess. <laughs> like, hopefully it doesn't go back down, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of been, like, quietly an unsung hero that we haven't – I don't think a lot of people have talked about, right? Like, he's just kind of been – solidly productive in really weird and unexpected ways, right? Like he's managed to score the ball relatively efficiently when his shot wasn't falling from deep. He was able to kind of bully ball his way into the paint and score, get to the free throw line and score that way. Uh, He's had some real big games of late that have contributed to some important wins, knocking down some some threes, as you've mentioned. Um, I say this every time we talk about Sadiq. I still, I just don't know who he is yet because it just changes every time we talk about him every month. It's like it's a different slash line because it just keeps changing, right? Um, you know, the thing I keep thinking about Sadiq though is like, is he is he the prototypical like second unit kind of guy though, right? Like, and and that seems to be the role he's slotting himself into. Um, and I think that would be fine. I, th- I think that would be okay. Um, but it limits your, your core ceiling, I guess, a little bit if, if that's who Sadiq is. So I think, I think, no, I think the bench role for him is good. Uh, he, if he continues like to be able to hit these threes at this rate, it makes him a non-traditional bench score, right? Like normally when we think of bench score, we're thinking of guys like Alec Burks, guys who can create their own shot, get all the way to the rim, um, and they look a lot more fluid than Sadiq does doing it. But if Sadiq is able to uh, continue to contribute offensively, like at this in this way, but also remains as uh, as a like stuck between positions as he is defensively, then that that makes him really tough to start. But it makes him very useful as like a role player off the bench. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been, I don't, I think the Pistons are looking for someone who gives them a little bit more defensively than Sadiq does at this point. Um, Sadiq obviously 
could always make improvements on that end, right? Still, you know, still a young player. This is his third year. But I don't think you can trust him as a long-term starter unless he's, like, really going to be making those improvements defensively. But the consistency offensively that we've seen over the last couple of months makes him impossible to, like, give up in a trade. So I, that, I think that's where we're at with Sadiq right now. He's just a very non-traditional bench scorer. And, like, that's a, that's a solid role for a guy taking where he was taken in the draft. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it's a weird, it's been a weird season for Sadiq. Um, Isaiah Stewart back in the starting lineup. Now we're, uh, return to the dog pound. Um, he had looked more useful as a big wing than a big, especially in the, uh, in the Dallas game. This was really crystallized. He had some real struggles around the rim and in the paint as a finisher, his hands are still really bad. Um, as a, as a post player, but as a wing, we saw him, you know, attacking some closeouts. Um, he had a really nice dunk in the Charlotte game all over Mason Plumlee. That was nice. Um, and with the three for eight, he shot from three in Phoenix. I was like, maybe that's the return of his three point shot. Yeah. Uh, he had not made a three since January 6th prior to that Phoenix game. So basically a month in between three point makes, which is kind of rough, but, uh, but Ben, I think we both value what Stewart has been able to bring as a rebounder, as a defender, as an energy guy enough to continue to want to see him play in that starting line next to Jalen Duren. Yeah, I, I agree. I think too, Isaiah Stewart is still so incredibly young. Don't, mm-hmm. don't let that fall off your radar. Um, He's still so incredibly young. What we've seen off the dribble when the three-point shot is respected is interesting. Um, it's not always pretty. It's not always effective. But that it exists at all is, I think, something to be intrigued by because he's only 21 years old. And, you know, the three-point shot is still new, as we've talked about before. It's it's still It's still a work in progress. And, you know, like, for example, I think people are – are very willing to be patient with a guy like Jaden Ivy and his turnovers and his mistakes. I think it's fair to extend a little bit of grace to a guy like Isaiah Stewart as well as he, he makes some of the similar kinds of mistakes. He just doesn't have the ceiling that Jaden Ivy has. Right. But um, to me, the rest of the season, if, if, uh, if Jaden Ivy exploring his offensive game is, is priority one, then like one a is like Jalen Duran, and then how does Isaiah Stewart mix in with Jalen Duran? Is like is right there for me. Is he Jalen Duran's backup, or is there some way to play them together for extended minutes? And I think you you really need to explore that possibility. I I, I think it's it's a coin flip for me which way it pans out. I, I think I'm comfortable with Stewart coming off the bench and being a backup five. I think he's capable of doing that. Whether or not he's capable of being a starting four in the NBA is is the is the question that they got to keep exploring. Yeah, six assists for Stewart against Charlotte was really noticeable as a guy who um, was just like making plays going downhill. Some of those were to Duran, some of those were to were to corner shooters, which was which was impressive. Um, it does not help that Charlotte, I think, has the like both times we've played Charlotte this year, I've been like, wow, their defense is worse than ours, which is like not a good place to be. Um, 
And, you know, obviously he didn't make those similar types of plays against Phoenix or against Dallas earlier this week. But I do agree with you, Ben, that like figuring out the Stuart Duran pairing as like, is this a thing that's going to be part of our like long-term efforts? Like we, we like Stuart. We think Stuart's going to be here long-term. We just don't know if that's a backup center or as you're starting for. And I, I think I just continue to be intrigued by like the there that's there with, with Isaiah Stewart. Um, the plays he's being able to make off the dribble, uh, attacking closeouts, the the shot returning would be really nice, so he can get those closeouts. Um, especially since teams aren't respecting the shot, he's going to get as many open shots as he can as he can manage. And you you could even see, like when I was looking at his box scores to like see when the last time he hit a three was, you could see like it's like zero for two, zero for mm-hmm. one, zero for two. Like he had stopped shooting them pretty mm-hmm. much. Right. And and so this this Phoenix game was the first time I think he had taken like over five threes in, in that stretch. And so it's going to be really important for him to just keep shooting. There's like the, the worst thing that can happen is that you stop. And then all of a sudden you're back to the like previous years versions of Isaiah Stewart where we weren't exactly sure what you offered offensively. And like, that was, that was a big problem with uh, the spacing, especially like around a Cade Cunningham. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Isaiah Stewart. I didn't put a Jalen Duren segment in here. I probably should have. I'm going to be thinking about that Jalen Duran short roll pass to the corner to Sadiq for the yeah, game. Yeah, sealed the game. Yeah, that was that was a that was a great play. Duran had a rough game against Phoenix, but uh, yeah, Jalen Duran is Jalen Duran is very much a part of this team's core. And so figuring out what kind of player you need to put next to him and Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham is going to be really important, whether or not that's Isaiah Stewart or somebody else. But uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's talk about Jaden Ivey. This is the focused Jaden Ivey segment. Um, Ben, I've been uh, very vocal about my desire to uh, trade Jaden Ivey and turn Jaden Ivey like into a three and D wing, into an an OG and an OB, into like a Mikhail Bridges type. And a lot of people have pushed back on me saying like, "Hey, like this kid's going to be special. This is not the time to give up on him." And it's like, yeah, I, I see where people are coming from. He's made very legitimate strides over the last month or so. And especially since the Burks Killian swap in the starting lineup, like you talked about a little bit earlier, you can see the comfort level with his with the ball in his hand is like really risen. Um, he's made strides in his ability to diversify his offensive attack. Right, he's no longer just like, am I'm I'm shooting a three or I'm going to the rim. Like those are not his only two options anymore. He's got a little bit more patience in the mid range. He's got a mid range jumper. He's been able to pull out. He's got floaters. Uh, He's taking fewer threes, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. He's also made some nice strides as a playmaker. He seems to be the only person on the team who can find Jalen Duren open underneath the rim for dunks, (laughs) which is is weird. There have been a lot of times over the last, like, three weeks I've said, like, was that Jaden Ivey's best game of the season? Um, But, like, despite those strides being made, and they are real, he's still having trouble with his efficiency. He's still hovering in like the low seventies, high sixties as a free throw shooter, which is really a big thing because like he's going, if as much as he gets fouled, like he could make a living at the line. If he was shooting like 80% instead of the 69% he's shooting Mm -hmm. over the last 15 games. Uh, I'm going to do the, the double dip as well. He leads all rookies in assists per game and total. Like that's great. 
He also leads all rookies in turnovers. That's less great. He's shooting 33% from three on the season, which is a little bit, uh, which is a little bit higher than I think it's been. But, uh, but yeah, Ben, Jalen, Jaden Ivy is learning. And I think like we can see that learning process happening in front of our eyes. And I wanted to acknowledge it. So people don't think that like, I'm just like completely biased against Jaden Ivy. Like, no, I see it happening. I see the process happening, but I also see like the, the missed free throws are a killer, especially for, in terms of efficiency. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. <clears throat> I would say that I think his performance against Charlotte was probably his most mature performance as a pro. That's how I would describe it. I mean, I, I watch pretty carefully for those possessions that to me, where he, he's off the dribble and he leaves his feet and gets into no man's land, right? He's, he's in the air with the basketball and with nowhere to go. And I can only think of one of those. Like I, I watched from one, only saw one. Um, you know, those lead to turnovers and those are terrible. They're the worst sorts of turnovers as well. Um, those I think are probably decreasing over time. Um, you know, hard to quantify, but that, that's just kind of my, what my eyeballs are telling me. I think if you watch critically, you'll probably see he still puts his teammates in bad positions off the pass. Like he still, like he still needs to get bailed out, right? Like he drives and gets himself in a bad position and he needs to bail out. Um, I can think of a possession where, you know, he's driving with six seconds left. He gets in a bad spot. He doesn't leave his feet, but he still ends up, you know, passing the ball to a, a covered Isaiah Stewart with four seconds left on the shot clock. That as an NBA guard, that's not a thing you should be doing, right? Like you, you don't, you don't kick it to Isaiah Stewart on the three point line when Isaiah Stewart is covered with three or four seconds on the shot clock, right? You, you have to understand. And that, that comes with time, but that's a, a next step in the learning. That's just not how you want to end a possession, but that kind of stuff I think arguably is happening less. So that's, I think the growth that you're talking about, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, right? It's not an assist and it's not a turnover. Right. So that so that's a net positive. It, it helps the team overall. I think also a shot shot chart has looked pretty solid. I shared this on Twitter. Um, his three point shooting has been up while his attempts have been down. So like his, his free throw percentage has been solid or excuse me, his three point percentage has been solid while the attempts have been a little bit lower. I think that's probably a good thing. And then I think maybe an interesting barometer for Jaden. Uh, you look at his his free throw rate. He's had more. Like there's actually a free throw rate number. You can check NBA.com or basketball reference for this. But you can also just look at how many free throw attempts does he have versus three-point attempts does he have. So he's taken more free throws than he has threes over the past month. And I think that's a good thing, right? So he's attacking the rim and getting fouled. So his free throw rate has actually ticked up to um, higher than bogeys, actually, which is, I think, a good thing because that had plummeted down a little bit, which to me is a sign of passivity. Um, so he wasn't actually getting all the way to the rim and getting fouled, I think, for, for a time where he had maybe hit the rookie wall. So I think all that stuff is positive stuff for Jaden Ivey. Um, you know, all the other stuff we've talked about with Jaden is going to take time. Shooting efficiency is not going to come in the middle of a season for a rookie guard who's never been a good shooter. That's a long game for Jaden Ivey. Um, developing a mid-range jumper for a guy who's not naturally a shooter, that's a long game for Jaden Ivey. Free throw shooting, though, like that absolutely has to get better, especially if he's going to be a guy who lives off the dribble. I mean, a 71% free throw shoot, that's just not going to cut it. He's got to get better. He will not get to his potential if he's not a 75, 78, 80% free throw shooter. That's just, it's not even close to good enough. So that's absolutely got to be a focal point for his development over the summer. Um, 
you know, I always get reluctant about tinkering with mechanics, but I do not like his mechanics at all. I think his shot, it's slow. Um, it's it's he, low. It starts he shoots it from low. his chest. Yeah, yeah. He shoots it from his chest, and it's a slow release. Uh, it's a um, everything about the release is is too low and slow. And it, if you're going to talk about a pull up jump shot, like fortunately he's fast and quick enough that he creates separation just because of that. But a, a pull up jumper, like you look at the great pull up jumpers in the NBA right now, the Durants, the Bookers, guys like that, quick releases that are high. Right. And Jaden doesn't have that. So those are the things long term he's, he's you know, he's going to work on if he's going to be a dynamic scorer in the NBA. Um, but I think you're right, Laz. There are things that are happening to be positive about. Like you, I'm not as high on Jaden as a lot of people, although I certainly see the case that people are making about his long term potential. But at the same time, absolutely fair to say over the past month, there are legitimate, real, tangible signs of growth. And it, it's, uh, it's fair to, to point that out for sure. He deserves credit for the progress he's been making. I will say he, when I like, when I looked up the numbers prior to the Phoenix game, like he was doing better from the line. He shot like, I think one for five in the Phoenix game. And that like, that took his numbers basically from like above 70% in the last 15 games to below 70% in the yeah. last 15 games. And so like, okay, before, you know, take out that one game or whatever, like he's play he's, performing better from the free throw line still not in the 80s like you would like to see but like better from the free throw line especially for a guy who's going to get to the free throw line as much as uh as he is i think you're right in that um we've seen a lot less passivity from him the more free throws than threes is a great barometer i think that especially like we talked about his shot form uh, especially for someone who should like really only be shooting threes when he's wide open. I think not taking uh, like five, six, seven threes a game is probably good for going to be really good for Jaden Ivey's uh, efficiency. I think like three and a half, like four is like probably like the right amount of threes for him to be taking per game. Um, but I do just want to point out the playmaking as well. Like, yes, he has, uh, Still, he still throws grenades to Isaiah Stewart. But, <laughs> That's a good uh, one. <laughs> yeah, but like the the connection that he and Jalen Duran have had over the last like ten or so games is something that's been really impressive. Like that's the stuff I was hoping we would get to see from Kate this season. Right? Is mm-hmm. like that that progression, um, that that dynamic duo, like Ness of uh, of having a, a big pick and roll like lob threat or slip threat, as the case may be. Um, Jalen's also being able to leverage his speed to create like gaps in the defense. We talked about that game ceiling three by Sadiq Bay um, against Charlotte. It's like half of that play is made because Jay, uh, because Jaden Ivey is past Terry Rozier so much so that like PJ Washington has to crash in on Jalen Duran and be all the way in, in the paint on the help. And like, that's why Jalen Duran's able to skip the ball to the corner, but because it's because Jaden Ivey created that initial, um, advantage at the point of attack because of his athleticism, because of his quickness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fair. You also I, like, I don't know. I'm just, the mid range is going to come. I think it's, it's weird because teams will be forced to like the mid range jumper is a shot that teams want you to take um, there. They will leave Jaden uh, Ivy open to take mid range jumpers. 
he's made a good enough amount of them over this last stretch that like I don't I no longer feel like a Jaden Ivey mid-range shot is like a complete win for the defense but I also don't want him to get too comfortable operating in that mid-range paint uh, area the other thing I'll say is that uh, as a you can see him developing a level of uh variety of speed like you can see him going from slow to fast and fast to slow in the pick and roll and how you know how that ability to go fast to go like zero to 60 underneath the free throw line really impacts defenses right like bigs are uh have real trouble kind of closing that last like five feet of space uh if he's like you know snaking the pick and roll or something like that um the next thing i think for he and duran to do We'll be experiment a little bit with some of those highway screens we saw from Stewart last season. Uh, if if Duran ever gets proficient at like sealing his man, and uh, Ivy's just able to like jet down the lane from 15 feet and in, like that will be easy instant offense whenever the Pistons can get it. Um, but yeah, Jaden Ivy's been really good over the last month. I really wanted to slow down and acknowledge that and uh, just say that as well. Uh, speaking of Ivy and Duran as well, they both of those guys were named to the rookie stars or the uh, Rising Stars rookie challenge. Uh, Cade being in the Rising Stars rookie challenge was a nice, like, little fun thing that happened uh, last year. Sad we don't get to see that again. Uh, this doesn't like really matter, but it's cool, right, Ben? Yeah, I mean they're going to fit right in a, a game with no defense being played. They're going <laughs> to be right at home. Oh no. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> no, it'll be fun. Um, I'm I'm glad for both of them. In all seriousness, I just had to I had to be a little sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we get to see both of them run and dunk. I mean, it, it's a game that's built for both of those guys, right? Like crazy athletic, Jaden in particular, like with his speed. Like seriously, in a game with no defense being played, like oh my goodness, he should he should have a field day. Duran, I mean, there's going to be other capable passers in that game who are going to love playing with Duran. So should be some fun highlights for both of them, I would think. And I would not be surprised to see um, Jaden Ivey rack up a significant amount of points. I would not be at all surprised. Yeah. I uh, I joked on Twitter that it's it's Jalen Duran's destiny to uh, win Rising Stars MVP, grabbing like 80, 100 rebounds. <laughs> Just like no one's boxing out. He's just like elevating over everybody. Uh, But in in all seriousness, one aspect of that I did like is what Dwayne Casey told the uh, media that he told those guys was that uh, like really go in there and uh, experience the the all-star experience, even though they are not all-stars because they we like they want to make the all-star game and we want them to make the all-star game. So, you know, go in, like see what those guys are doing, see what it takes to be an all-star like get that taste so that you get the hunger like in order to make yourself better to be an all-star i thought that was a a really uh, important bit of coaching um from Dwayne casey and part of the reason why like he's still here uh all right ben we're going to shift gears a little bit this is the last week before the trade deadline the trade deadline is thursday we've talked a lot over the last like three or so weeks about potential moves the pistons could make at the trade deadline we are not going to rehash a, a lot of that um, we sh- people should go listen to our previous podcast to get, um, especially since there's like no new news on those fronts, right? The Pistons won a lot for Boyan Bogdanovich. They want less, but still a lot for Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel is probably going somewhere else. Like that, that's it. You're done. 
Um, we did get a little bit of new intel, though. Denver's Bones Highland is being shopped uh, by the Nuggets. Uh, I needed to be reminded of this. I do not remember this. Apparently, Troy Weaver was a big fan of uh, Bones Highland in the pre-draft process. That was the uh, Cade Cunningham year when they took Livers with the uh, with that second-round pick, but Bones was drafted before Livers. Um, any interest in Bones Highland as a uh, show, as a uh, easy acquisition, like a low cost, uh, like no one's giving you a first round pick for Bones, but as a low cost acquisition, Ben. Yeah, I mean Weaver seems to like guys I wouldn't think twice about, so I guess this sort of like <laughs> fits, like if it's that. I don't know, Laz. You're gonna have to tell me why, like why, like he's a okay three point shooter, right? He gets. I was looking at the, the shot chart and the stats. About half his threes are assisted. Decent percentage. Um, I don't watch a lot of Nuggets games, right, um, other than the highlights because Jokic is just ungodly oh, yeah. and Murray is so healthy right now. And they're just yeah. – like the highlight reels are absurd, but I don't stay up late to watch the Nuggets play a lot. So tell me, tell me why I should be interested in a guy who's on a good team, play, playing a decent amount of minutes off the bench, right? But like – Two point percentage is terrible, but three point percentage is okay. Why? Why should I be? Why should I want this to happen? He's a he's a microwave scorer, right? And I think the I saw Kuka Hill of Locked On Pistons come up with this first. Is you could do like a bones for Killian swap in a admission that Killian uh, is probably not going to. Uh, be as effective as you thought he was going to be when you drafted him seventh, but uh, Killian as a guy who plays defense and keeps the ball moving on that Denver team would be really valuable for them in the way that uh, a microwave score kind of isn't. They don't really need uh, a microwave score who doesn't play defense, and that's okay. kind of what Bones is right now. That's interesting. Um, think of I think of Bones as like a younger Alec Burks, right? It's like, would you like to get your hands on Alec Burks at 22? And uh, perhaps like help him, uh, you know, get some more pick and roll reps so that he becomes a more efficient two point scorer. Um, I, you know, we've talked a lot of this season about how the bench has missed another ball handler. We just talked about how they split up Killian and Jaden to get more ball handling onto the second unit. Bones Island can definitely do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting i don't know if it's, it's not like mandatory no one out if if they miss on bones highland it's not like some big uh some big miss but i i thought that was an that might be an interesting pickup for a pistons team that has like struggled with with shot creation at times this season yeah the uh the other trade deadline free agency you know roster change thing i wanted to bring up was that we we've heard this like a couple times now Jeremy Grant uh, is has not signed the extension that Portland offered him. He's looking for a, a big payday in free agency. We got a, a little slight note from James Edwards III at The Athletic that uh, there is a possibility of a Jeremy Grant-Troy Weaver reunion in Detroit. Ben is shaking his head and his lips are pursed. He's <laughs> not a fan of uh, Jeremy Grant coming back to Detroit. Why is that, Ben? Jeremy Grant is fine. He's a fine player. But, like, why? They why need, they need defense. They need, a, they need a 3 and D wing. And they that's do. Kind of what he but, is. like, we did this once. And, like, it was just – it was not good. I mean, it was fine. I mean, he's fine. He's a fine player. Like, he's a fine player. Fine. 
He's Cade, a fine player. He's a fine player. Cade, Jaden Ivey, Jeremy Grant, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, or, you know, throw in bogey instead. Uh, throwing in bogey, it, like, brings you a lot of the same problems you had when, like, Jeremy and Sadiq were in the starting lineup together, where it's like Jeremy guards one guy, but he can't guard everybody. Um, I I don't know. I I think Jeremy and Cade had like really figured out how to play well with each other at by the end of last season. Um that chemistry was burgeoning. Uh the Pistons do need a guy to guard the Kevin Durant's and Laurie Markinens and uh the Luka Doncic's. Luka destroyed the Pistons. Uh Luka destroys week. everybody. Yeah, that that is totally fair. But the Pistons currently don't have like that on-ball six seven six eight six nine guy who can defend, and Jeremy Grant can do that. You know, do I want to give Jeremy Grant the like thirty-five million dollars or Gosh, whatever that he's going to be thing. asking for? Like, like, yeah, why, probably not. Why? Yeah, probably not. But I it's mean, on the table. We yeah, like okay, so Caden and Jaden are going to mm-hmm. command or expect post rookie max deals, right? Probably Cade, Cade more so than Jaden. Cade for I, sure. If I if I remember, like you can only have one like designated post rookie max guy on your roster. This is the this is like why like Minnesota couldn't trade for Ben Simmons because like him and Cat both have post rookie maxes or something. So or the post rookie, they're gonna both okay. Let's just say they're both they're both, they're both gonna, gonna make a bunch of money. A yeah, big big deals, right? Yeah, big yeah, chunks, big deals. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. so. And they're both going to get big paydays before they're at their peak, right? Performance-wise, right? Sure. So they're not going to be at their best before they're getting paid their big their big extensions. You've got decisions to make about Duran when he's like what twenty three, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, okay. That's good Isaiah Stewart's going to be same 25? age-ish, yeah, yeah. twenty four, something like okay. that. Okay, Sadiq is your bench guy, presumably. He's going to be a little bit older, and you're going to lock potentially Jeremy Grant. How old is Jeremy now? 27? Something like that? 28? I mean, I guess in Bogey is 35, 33, something like that, 32. Bogey's 33 right now, if I remember remember correctly. I mean, it just, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think if you sign Jeremy Grant, I don't know what you're doing with Bogey. you You trade Bogey. I don't know why you have both of those guys it's redundancies i don't know i don't know it just seems like you're locking yourself into a big bunch of meh like you're fine you're okay i don't even i don't even disagree with you but then like i'm looking at the 30 million dollars they have in cap space this offseason and being like what are they going to do with that yeah that's and we and we know they want to be competitive next season is like and the way that they're going to do that is being better defensively than they are right now it's like do you want to spend $35 billion on Jeremy Grant or do you want to spend $35 million on Kyle Kuzma? Right. Like, those, oh God, no. Like, remember, remember we did the, we did the list of, yeah, uh, of wing true. guys like two weeks ago. It's like, it's like, all right, you want $15 million on Grant Williams? Like, okay, maybe it's like $30 million on Kuzma. It's like, Oh God, I hate it. But like that, is that, is that what it costs? It's, so it, no easy decisions in, in roster building. Absolutely. Especially with a team that, uh, has such clearly defined holes as, uh, but like the things that they're missing are the things that literally every team in the NBA wants. So it's kind of a problem. I mean, they need to win the lottery or get the second pick. That's like, yeah. 
<laughs> That's basically what needs to happen. Twenty-eight percent. Right. Oh man. All right, Ben. Uh, this is your this is your time to shine. What have you been thinking about for these last couple of weeks as you watch our Detroit Pistons? Well, it, it's an interesting segue, right? So, Pistons want to push for the play in in a in a year, right? In a year, next year. Currently, they have fourteen wins. The only team that has fewer wins is the Rockets with thirteen. Spurs they also lost have What's terribly. That? Who they lost to terribly? Correct. Well, terribly, but also. I'd rather beat the Brooklyn's and lose to the Houston's. To be perfectly honest, like that's not bad. It's not. It, it sucks, but like okay. Yeah. Looking at the Eastern Conference right now, the teams chasing the play-in have like twenty-four to twenty-five wins. Right there's that glut of teams: Chicago, Indiana, Washington, Toronto. They all suck, but they're all losing teams. They all have twenty-four to twenty-five wins. Right. A little bit of math. To get to that, you have to multiply the Pistons' win total by 1.8, right? You have to add 11 wins to 14 to get to that. Not quite double your wins, but pretty darn close, right? So you take, you add Cade Cunningham, you add Marvin Bagley, you add a high draft pick, and you add Jeremy Grant or equivalent. Does that double your win total? I don't know. I'm really curious to see how Troy Weaver gets this squad of guys to 25 wins 12 months from now. I think it's going to take a lot of work. Um, it's not impossible. It's certainly not impossible, but I think that I think Weaver's got a lot of work to do um, and they have a lot. They're going to have to make some big strides internally um, because going from 14 wins to 25 wins over 12 months, I mean, adding 11 wins to your win total is, is, is a, is a tall order. Um, All right. So yeah, gonna, that's I'm what gonna, I'm thinking about. If they need 11 wins, how many would healthy Cade be worth? That's is so it, hard to say. Is it three? Is it eight? Like, like would that that is the big question to me because yeah. it's it's clear that this team would be better with Cade. It's unclear to me like how much better. Like I I was thinking about this in terms of like the status of the other teams who are rebuilding, right? Like like Orlando has 21 wins mm-hmm. and a rock solid core between Correct. Paulo Franz and like w- Wendell Carter Jr. I think is their third guy and they have like a stable of like other potential guys that they like, right? Mm-hmm. And they because of Paulo, because of Franz, because they nailed those picks in back-to-back years, their rebuild looks much, much better and much, much further along than the Pistons does right now. Like Indiana, Indiana is, they do suck, but between, between Halliburton and extending Miles Turner and like, you know, finding stuff in Buddy Heald and others, like they have positioned themselves to where like, okay, like they are, I don't know if they'll make the play in, but they've put themselves in, uh, in that, in that category. Like, does a healthy Cade and a uh, and a Kyle Kuzma like put you into like twenty one win territory? Like maybe, but you're also at this point you're running into the thing we talked about earlier, which is like your team is expensive and is going to get more expensive mm-hmm. in the not too distant future. Like, have you locked yourself into something that's not going to be great long term? So yeah, no, I I don't disagree that I like I personally think this is probably like a 16, 17, 18 win team with Cade. Like they're not 
like they win some of those close games that they've been in at the end where uh, they've like kind of thrown up on themselves. Um, But, and and Kate helps with that. And and at this point, if Kate's healthy, we're talking about like the burgeoning chemistry between him and Jalen Duran, right? We're talking about how him and Ivy are learning to play together and how Ivy's figuring stuff out and that's making Kate's life easier. Um, But they, but that still doesn't fix the issues they have defensively. It still probably doesn't fix the issues they have offensively from an efficiency standpoint. We're probably complaining about how Cade's not getting any calls and wondering why he's not shooting better from three, right? And so this team is not like Cade doesn't make this team eleven wins better by himself. But okay. how much in, he adds in terms of wins and losses, I think, is a really big question that needs to be answered. Uh, and if, if you're going to think about like how this team makes that jump into that. 24, 25, 26 win uh, range at this point in the season. Yeah, and what is what is a healthy Cade Cunningham? That that's the question. Like Cade is talking about having pain in his shin since high school. Like that to me. Like what what does a healthy Cade Cunningham even look like? Is an interesting question to me. Um, because there's this ho- there's this hope in me that Cade Cunningham comes out in year three and looks like a different player offensively and potentially even defensively. I mean, you talked about defensively. I'm a little scared of the Cade, Cade <laughs> Ivy backcourt right now because they, especially the way Ivy has played defensively, but you know, there's potential that this injury has really negatively impacted Cade and his ability to move and his ability to be explosive. And maybe this is transformative for the way he plays. So we'll, I don't know. I don't know those answers. So I, I'm yeah. I'm asking the question in a very critical way. How do you get from 14 wins to 25 wins? Because that's the type of leap that Troy Weaver is talking about. And it's not, I'm just saying, it's not an easy leap to make. Yeah. And 30 million in cap space and a high draft pick is just, it's no guarantee. Like there's a lot of hard work that needs to happen to get there. No, I agree. And then to add to that even, right? Like, okay. It's like next year you want to be in the 24, 25, 26 win range. Like how do you turn that into two years from now, the 30, 32 win range, right? Where like you are competing with your, you know, the Milwaukee's and the Boston's and the, uh, I don't know, by in two years from now, James Harden might be like 300 pounds. So who knows? (laughs) But, uh, but like Cleveland will be on the rise at that point. Correct. Like, Orlando, yeah. like you will be up against whatever Orlando is doing when they're on a very similar track. And so like making making those next couple of jumps is going to be very uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Pistons handle that over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Speaking of just the high level teams, uh, the Pistons play the Boston at home on Monday. They play Cleveland on the road on Wednesday. And then they play San Antonio at home on Friday. Uh, they probably really need to win that one. That seems like a, a nice game. And then they play the uh, Toronto on, on the road on a Sunday matinee. And after the trade deadline, that could be like a completely different Toronto team. Like yeah. who knows who's on that yeah. Toronto team right. on, on Sunday. But, uh, but yeah, Ben, the Pistons probably really need that San Antonio home game. Yeah, and I tell you what, I would also take the weird random win against a good team and a loss to San Antonio too. I would take that. Um, but I is, tell you what, is Toronto it, a good team? Does that count? <laughs> they're better than the Pistons, so yeah, that's true. 
But maybe they will be back. I mean, maybe they will be. Who knows what they're going to trade? I mean, if they trade OG, who see, you know, maybe they'll flip him into something that fits better. I don't know. We'll, we'll they could trade OG. They could trade Fred Van Fleet. Yeah, that's true. They could trade Kim Birch. Like, I don't know, man. I don't think I believe in Toronto much, regardless. But, um, yeah, this is Celtics and the Cavs, both tough, tough, tough matchups for for Detroit. I mean, we'll see. Maybe they'll maybe they'll rest guys and it won't it won't be as tough, but San Antonio, please yeah, I mean, please. Yeah. yeah. It would be nice to watch a win. Orlando, by the way, has beaten the Celtics three times this year. And it's <laughs> got it's yeah. gotten to the point where like the Celtics broadcast is like, why can't we beat these guys? Like what are these guys doing to us? That's funny. I watched that game. That's very funny. Paolo, very good. Very, yeah. very impressed by Paolo. Looks good, like a looks like a star already. Yep. Yeah. All right, Ben. That's a good, that we we talked about a lot of stuff. I was like, we didn't talk last week, so I guess we had a lot of stuff to talk about. But yeah. you know, despite the fact that this is a 13 win team with the skeleton of what we hope is a 24 win team at this time next year, this is an interesting team. It's a it's a lot of things are happening. Um, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, what your thoughts are on this uh, interesting team as we move towards the trade deadline and the end of this season. <laughs> well, lately I've managed to put my thoughts on Twitter at BR Golker. Saturday mornings seems to be my time where I'm catching up on the, the Pistons recordings that I missed during the week, <laughs> which has kind of been funny. So whatever game I don't watch during the week, I usually watch Saturday mornings early before my kids get up. And I launch into my Twitter threads and rants. <laughs> so that's a good time. Uh, otherwise, at DetroitBadBoys.com. Appreciate the support of the podcast over the years. And uh, hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you'd like to talk about in the, the next couple of weeks. Your kids don't wake up at like 7? Uh, yeah, I kind of ignore them, though. You know, oh, okay. For a little nice. while. Let, let, I let my, my wife gives me Saturday mornings to do my Piston stuff, which is, which is wonderful. And sometimes they even watch the games for a few minutes with me, which is nice. So, uh, I watched all of the Phoenix. Uh, we went to a three-year-old's birthday party last night. And so mm-hmm. I did not watch the Phoenix game. I watched the Phoenix game this morning and it was nice because during the first quarter, he was like, ball, ball. Nice. I was like, yes, yeah. it's like they're, they're yeah. playing basketball. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, all, all these railroad tracks you brought. Yeah. I'm just going to dump them on the floor now. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we'll, we'll get through them. Anyway, he gets up at seven bright and early, no oh, matter yeah. what. So I, I don't I got to watch these games live at night when they happen. Um, and you can find me live tweeting these games when they happen at night uh, as they happen on Twitter at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. I've also tried to wander into the comments of our recaps and uh, the podcast. Um, let people know that I don't hate Jade and Ivy as much as they think I do. And uh, just giving people uh, giving people what they want to hear uh, with this Pistons team so far this year. Thank you all for listening. We do appreciate the support of the podcast. It means the world to us um, as we think about what the future of this podcast is going to look like. But we appreciate the support you guys have given us over the years and this season. It means the world to us. Um, Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.